Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. Great leaders are driven to win, yet career wins can often wreak havoc on your health. This includes everything from tension headaches, digestive issues, high blood pressure to heart attack, and even stroke. Being overworked can also take a toll on your family and even destroy a marriage. Joining us today is Michael Hyatt, author of Win at Work and Succeed at Life. If you are overworked, if you're burning the midnight oil, or maybe you just lack balance outside of the workplace, don't go anywhere. Michael Hyatt is in the house and it all starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it. Joining us today is the Chief Executive Officer and founder of Michael Hyatt & Company. He has scaled multiple companies over the years, including a $250 million publishing company with over 700 employees and his own leadership development company, which has grown over 60% every year for the past four years. Michael Hyatt & Company has been featured in the Inc. 5000 list of the fastest growing companies in America for three years in a row. In 2020, the company was named on Inc.'s best workplaces list. In addition, he's the author of several New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today bestselling books, including Living Forever, Your Best Year Ever, Free to Focus, The Vision Driven Leader, and his newest book, which he co-wrote with his daughter, Megan, Win at Work, Succeed at Life. Welcome to the show, Michael Hyatt. Thanks, David. Appreciate you having me on. Great to have you on. You know, I, I loved your latest book. Share with us first, what inspired you to write Win at Work, Succeed at Life? Okay, so let me tell you a story. Uh -huh. So 20 years ago, I was given responsibility for one of Thomas Nelson Publishers' 14 book publishing divisions. So at the time, they were the seventh largest book publisher in the U.S., and I was given responsibility for a very broken division. In fact, this division was so broken that it had lost money the previous year and it was growing in reverse. In other words, it was shrinking. Right. And so the CEO said to me, he said, how long would it take you to turn this division around? And I said, and I didn't really have a clue. I just pulled a number out of the air, but I said, I think it'll take about three years. And I wanted to buy myself a little time. And so he said, well, that's kind of what I was thinking too. So have at it. So I went back to my team. I shared with them a vision for turning this division around and, you know, hopefully getting, you know, up toward the top of the best performing divisions in the company. And so we decided we'd roll up our sleeves. We would work hard, you know, do everything we could and try to turn that division around. And we did it. We did it in a year and a half. So half the time I told the CEO, we went from number 14 to number one in wow. terms of the most profitable division of the company and from number 14 to number one in terms of revenue growth. So I, as a result of that, got the biggest bonus check that I'd ever received. And that, you know, right. that, that felt like validation, you know, and it was more than my annual salary. Now, here's where the story gets interesting. I could not wait to get home to share this with my wife, Gail. I knew that she would be over the moon. She's always been my biggest cheerleader. I just knew that she'd be excited. So I bounced into the living room, showed her the check, and she wasn't that impressed. <laughs> and she said to me, sort of the, I think the, the, the words that, that every husband, maybe every spouse hates to hear, and that is, honey, we need to have a talk. And I went, uh-oh, this is not going to be good. So we went into the den, we sat down, she began to tear up. And she said, she said, first of all, I want you to know that I love you with all my heart. And I, I so appreciate all that you've done to support our family. But if I'm honest, I got to admit that you're never 
at home. And even when you are, you're not really here. You're distracted. You're someplace else. And your five daughters need you now more than ever. They were either in middle school or high school at the time. And then she began to cry. And she said, if I'm really honest, she said, I feel like a single mom and I don't know how much longer I can hold on. Now, David, I felt like I had reached the pinnacle of success, but what I realized in that moment is that it was a false summit. Yeah, I remember reading that that and that was inspiring because you know you're all excited thinking she'd be equally as excited. Then she's like, "Eh, we're just gonna lose you a little bit more." So you know, I, I can rate as I mentioned, um, I particularly related to your book because as you share about your work ethics, I'm also a driven A-type achiever. Uh, I'm curious, what advice can you share for people suffering from you call it workaholism that are really slaves to their job that don't have that balance? Yeah, well, the subtitle of the book really says it all. Five Principles to Free Yourself from the Cult of Overwork. And it really has become a cult today. It's become an epidemic in our society. And worse, it's become a badge of honor. So that when people ask you in casual social conversation, how's it going? You know, most people like to respond with something like, oh, man, I'm crazy busy. Things are, you know, nuts. And it sounds like they're complaining, but it's really bragging. And we've got celebrity entrepreneurs out there like Elon Musk, who encourages a lot of young entrepreneurs. And that's primarily my business. I work with a lot of young business owners and entrepreneurs is that, you know, he says, look, if you're really serious about your work, if you really want to make your mark in the world, if you want your company to to succeed, you've got to work at least 100 hours a week. And that's something he's practiced himself. Wow. Yeah. But at what cost? So Elon Musk, has just completed his third marriage. He has six sons, and by his own admission, five of them don't speak to him. And, you know, his his big aspiration, his big ambition in life is to go to Mars, but he may well be there by himself when it's (laughs) over. Yeah. And so so the question is, you know, how do we we eke back? How do we, we take back our life? Because I think... When most people are faced with a situation like I was faced with, with Gail in the den, they feel like they're, they're, they're looking at what we call in the book, the impossible choice. I can either win at work or I can succeed at life, but I can't do both. I got to pick one. And so some people opt for what Elon Musk advocates, but it's the hustle fallacy. It's the idea that if I you know, work hard, if I double down, keep the nose to the grindstone, that I'll eventually get to the place where I can pull back, relax, and give attention to the things that I know intuitively matter more. Or the alternative is they pump the brakes. We call this the ambition break, but they pump the brakes on their professional ambition, settle for less than what they're capable of achieving, all in an effort to preserve their health, which is important, obviously, and their most important relationships. But we think that's a false dichotomy. We think that it's possible to both win at work and succeed at life. And the book is an attempt to map out a strategy for doing just that. Yeah, that's great. You know, I've known so many people over the years that they die shortly after they retire because for 50 years of their life, their job is what defined them. And, you know, and it brings that point is how can people go from living to work to focusing on working on living? And that's what I love about your book. And, and, and I'll be honest, it, it's tough. I, I find it tough and I'm getting better as, as we grow. But, you know, have you noticed people that, you know, it's a lot of them retire and there's no reason to live? No, there's not. And I think that's where 
where we got really get serious about this. And I'll tell you how it happened to me back, you know, when I was first confronted with the situation with, with Gail, I realized I need some help because if I knew how to do something different, I would already be doing it. So I hired an executive coach. And the first thing he did, we had like a three hour session the first time we met together and he just wanted to kind of get the lay of the land and understand what I'd been going through. So I recounted to him the story that I shared with you, David. And then he said, well, let me ask you. He said, it seems to me like you have no constraints on your work. For you, it's just work, 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 work all the time. And I said, well, that's kind of unfortunately my life. And he said, my guess is that in the middle of the afternoon, when you realize that you're not gonna get your task list done, you say to yourself, no problem, because I can go home, grab a quick bite to eat with the family, then sit down, plop open my laptop and get back to work and finish up. And I said, buddy, you nailed it. That's me. And he said, my guess is that on the on Friday afternoon, when you realize you're not going to finish your task list for the week, you say to yourself, no problem. I can go to the office on Saturday or I can work at the office on Sunday night, but I can use this weekend to catch up. And he said, probably even when you go on vacations, you're the kind of guy that gets up two hours before the family to work on that project you haven't found time to work on during regular work hours. And I said, guilty as charged, <laughs> that's me. So he said to me, and this was, this was the beginning of my recovery. He said to me, are you willing to commit to a hard boundary so that you quit work at a specific time every day? So I thought about it for a little bit. I said, yes, I am, because I I realized this was a problem. And so he said, so what time are you willing to quit work? So at that time, and I can tell you later what I'm doing today, but at that time, I said, 6 p.m. That was a big stretch back then, 6 p.m. He said, okay, great. He said, what about the weekends? He said, are you willing to not work on the weekends so that you can use that time to invest in your family and your health and all the other parts of life? And I said, yes, I'm willing to do that. He said, what about vacations? And that was really a hard one. I said, (laughs) I'm willing to not work on my vacations. He said, okay, great. Now this is where the rubber hit the road. He said that I'm sure you won't mind if I check in periodically with your wife, Gail, to see how you're doing. (laughs) All of a sudden it got real. Because if he was just asking me how it was going, I'm sure just knowing myself, I'd put the best spin on it, right? Uh, I wouldn't be as as honest probably as I should be or as transparent or forthright as I should be. But with him checking in with my wife, right. that created the accountability that really facilitated the transformation that I needed. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. As you're reading your book, uh, I'll share what I started doing that really helped me create some balance. Let me get your feedback on it. I used to say, if I get my work done, I'm going to reward myself by doing something fun. Well, the problem is I enjoyed working more than I did playing and I would never cash in on that reward. So now instead I say, I'll go enjoy an hour on the, uh, maybe I walk on the beach and reward myself with four hours of work when I get back. What's your opinion on that reverse psychology? I think it's totally right. And it's not just right because of the psychological integrity of it, but for the physiological integrity of it. And, And this really you know, the fifth principle that, that Megan and I talk about is that rest is the foundation for a productive, creative, meaningful life. What I used to think was that rest was the reward for working hard. Right. You know, I'll take that vacation. 
I'll get involved in that hobby, just like you, David. I'll get involved in that thing that's not work once I've really nailed it at work. Right. But the problem is that if we're going to show up as the best version of ourselves, if we're going to be the most creative, the best problem solvers, the most focused and productive, that takes rest. It takes, it, we got to give ourselves opportunity, which is the fourth principle, is recognizing the value of non-achievement. Right. A I lot of those things, like a walk on the beach, like spending time with your wife or your husband or your kids or your friends, or just engaging in, a, in an activity. Like I love to play the guitar. I play Native American flute. I love to fish and golf. Right. But those aren't things that I can check off a list. And so that, but the value of that is that it, it, it facilitates me coming back to work as the best version of, of myself. Now, I want to give you a quick story. Tell me. So back at the beginning of the pandemic, um, back like toward the end of March, we've, we've got a lot of young parents in our company. Suddenly they had no childcare, kids weren't going to school. They were trying to manage a circus because they had all these kids underfoot. So we said, look, we have got to help relieve some of this stress because we know it's going to back up into work if we don't help these young parents get some relief. So we said, as an experiment, we're going to go from a 40-hour work week to a 30-hour work week so that they've got time for all this other stuff they got to get done now that the pandemic's in full sway. So we tried it. We said the, the criterion is going to be, can we remain as productive as we were before when we were working 40 hours a week? We're going to cut our work hours by 25%. We're not going to dock anybody's pay. Everybody gets paid the same exact amount, but cut everybody's work hours by 25%. After two weeks, the executive team got together. We said, we can't tell any difference. People are making better decisions about what they work on, and they're getting hyper-focused on the highest priority stuff, which is one of the benefits of constraints. So we said, okay, let's try it through the summer. And if, you know, if it doesn't work, if we see a slip in productivity, if we start to go backwards against our budget, then we'll go back to what we were doing. Right. Went through the summer. No, we were ahead on the budget. And in fact, we decided wow. at strategic planning in September to make this a permanent feature of Michael Hyatt and Company, the 30-hour work week. And we finished 2020, 52% ahead of our profit budget. Wow. And 101% ahead of what we had done the previous year. And we were highly profitable. We'd had the best year we'd ever had in the history of the company the previous year. So it didn't inhibit it. But counterintuitively, we really believe that, that constraining our work actually led to more to productivity. We were able to achieve more by doing less. I know that doesn't sound rational, but it works. <laughs> yeah, that kind of debunks the old, oh, I just don't have time in my work week to get the work done. You've shown that it is true. Let me ask you this. I mentioned in the beginning some of the problems, the side effects of being overworked. And there's a couple of stats in your book I want to read. You said people who work in excess of 55 hours each week raise their chance of heart attack by 13% and stroke by 33% compared to those that work 40 hours, not to mention the tension headaches, the digestive issues, high blood pressure, elevated cortisol level. Michael, let me ask you, isn't that extra money that people are making just going to doctor bills and expensive medication? No, it totally will. Or counseling, <laughs> family therapy. Yeah. All these things to remediate. And I, I tell you, back in, in that 18 month period, when I was trying to turn that division around, right. I ended up in the ER three times Jeez. thinking I was having a heart attack. Now, thank God it wasn't a heart attack. And so I finally, my cardiologist ran me through all the you know stress tests and everything. 
And he said, buddy, your heart is fine. He said, what is going on in your life? So I was told about my work schedule and all that. And he said, well, 30% of my clients that come into me as a cardiologist are experiencing acid reflux or stress-related stress-induced health problems that are masking themselves as heart attacks when there's nothing wrong with their heart. He said, if you don't change your lifestyle, he said, you might end up here for real with a heart attack and wow. I may or may not be able to fix you. Wow. So that was, that was added motivation. Yeah, that's so powerful. You know, we've all heard this saying, the glass is half empty or glass is half full, depending on how you look at life. I love it in your book. You have illustrations of three glasses filled differently, representing a 24-hour period. Share with us the ideal increment of time we should be spending on achievement, non-achievement, and rest. Yeah, I think of it like this. You know, if you divide it into three eight-hour blocks, you got eight hours for work, you got eight hours for sleep. And by the way, that's what the average person, an average adult needs is eight hours of rest. Right. And I can remember back when I was at Thomas Nelson, I eventually became the CEO of that company. We published a book that advocated that people train themselves to get by on four hours of sleep a night. Jeez. That is a recipe for a health Ugh. and relational disaster. So eight hours of work, eight hours of rest, eight hours of non-achievement time. See, I, yeah, I was the 12, six and six, but yeah, I like the eight, eight, eight. It makes sense. Even that's called a balanced uh, cup of, of water, you know, of life, the water of life. So that's that, right. That made, I love the, uh, in your book, you, you, a section of your book, you, you created an aha moment for me. You talk about the incredible power of non-achievement and it really helped me understand the importance of just being still and doing nothing. Yeah. I, to me, honestly, that was a waste of why I was on this earth. I, when I sat and watched a movie, I'm like, what am I doing? What a waste. I got work to do. I got things to produce and, and books to write and, and CDs and audio. So I really gravitated. Let's share why doing nothing is so important. Well, you know, it's usually in those moments of doing nothing that we get the biggest breakthroughs, the biggest insights, the things that are going to advance our business and advance our life. But when we don't have any time for reflection. Right. You know, we're just kind of careening through life from one thing to the next, being very reactive. And that's the difference between what I would call the drift and design. In other words, most people, I would say, you know, 99% of the people are just drifting through life. And uh, my wife and I, early on in our marriage, after we'd been married about five years, we went to Hawaii and we didn't have a lot of money to do any you know, fancy entertainment, about all we could do is free scuba lessons from the hotel. And then we rented some scuba gear, scuba gear and not scuba gear, but snorkeling gear and went snorkeling in the lagoon. Well, we got caught in a riptide, pulled way out to sea. It's, it's a miracle we survived. But that's always been a fitting metaphor for me because that's how so many people uh, uh, approach life. They get distracted and they're not paying attention. And suddenly they end up miles from where they intended to be and nobody ever drifted to a destination they would have chosen when you drift you end up in a health crisis you end up in a relational True. crisis and all this stuff the alternative is to design your life to decide like we were saying that you know what i can't cheat sleep not if i'm going to show up as the best version of myself not if i'm going to be my most creative True. you know True. self and make my biggest contribution i got to be rested i got to take care of me it's like it's like, uh, you know, when the, the uh, flight attendant says to you before you attempt to help somebody else, if we lose cabin pressure, sure. yep. put your own oxygen mask on first. 
Well, the same thing is true when it when it comes to self-care. Yeah, so I, yeah, I always say the word time has the word I and the word me in it. And yes. People, and people, when, and, and I've actually got a sticky note and circled it and give it to people. And they say, I put that on my refrigerator. The word time is telling me something. I and me. So, yeah. So you've got to take care of yourself, like you just said. Otherwise, you can't save and help other people. You're not the best you you can be. How can you help other people become better than they can be? And that's, that's what, right. yeah, and that's what I love about it. Let me ask you, how was it uh, writing a book with your daughter? That was really interesting. How did, how did that come about? Well, well, we've worked together for a lot of years. Uh -huh. you know, she's 40 years old. She has five kids of her own, including three with special needs. And, you know, the, the motivation from my part was, I thought that if I wrote this book myself, that a lot of people would just kind of dismiss it because they would say, oh, well, you know, you're in your 60s, you've got the discretionary income and time to do whatever you want. Right. So sure, you can, you can experience the double win. But what about the rest of us schmucks, you know, that are trying to hold down a job and do all the other stuff that you have to do to raise a family? And so I said, you know, and Megan, who's now the, the new CEO of our company, she's totally bought into the message. I said, I got to write this with Megan. And so we are, we are so in sync together. And I know that not every family that works together, it works out. Right. But we've got one of those partnerships where it really, really does work. You know, she can complete my sentences and she's bought into this as much as I am. And so it was a great experience. I have nothing but positive to say. Yeah, it was great seeing the two perspectives in the book. So I really, I enjoyed her take mm. as well. And that was, that was great. I'm curious, you know, you've accomplished so much in life, your bio, I had to figure out how to cut the thing short so we wouldn't talk in a half hour talking about your accomplishments. But I'm curious, what do you consider your proudest moment looking back in your life? What are you, you know, most proud I, of? Yeah, I think the, the thing I'm the most proud of is the fact that, that A, I've been married 43 years this summer and I still love my wife and she still loves me. And, and by the way, that's what I put at risk 20 years ago. Yeah. And this could have ended up at a very different place. And I think the other thing that I'm the most proud of that goes hand in glove with that is that my five adult children want to hang out with me. You know, we, we, they're all within, I've got nine grandkids and my five daughters within 20 minutes of me. And we spend so much time together. We just came back from a vacation together in Mexico. Yeah. It's just, just awesome. I don't take that for granted because a lot of kids don't want to spend time with their parents but I'm proud that they do. And not only that, have you noticed that when you take time for yourself, your vacation or your family, or you do things away from work, the year is slower. Otherwise it's like, it's Christmas again. It was just Christmas, right? Yeah, totally. You're, yeah. You're on that hamster wheel. It's like, I got to go shopping for Christmas. That was last month. No, that was 10 months ago. But I think maybe it's getting more input into the brain, more new things rather than that same old hamster wheel. What do you think? You think that slows life down and gets us to enjoy it more? Yeah, I do. I, I think there's something called the treadmill effect. That when all you're doing is achieving all the time, it's like you finish one task and you got to get into the next one. You got to get into the next one. And like, I'm the kind of person that won't, if I'm left to myself, I won't even celebrate my achievements. You know, I'll, I'll, this book will be published, you know, from the time we're recording this, it's coming out next week, it'll be published and I'll be on to the next thing. But I force myself now to do not achievement related things to really to, to, to celebrate this and to just take a moment to breathe. And, and that does by necessity, because I step off the treadmill slows things down. Yeah. And, you know, that really resonated with me because I'm, I'm, I'm a creator of plan A and I'm already looking at Z. 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't get to enjoy B and C. I swear. I really, I'm thinking. No, I, a, I hear you. <laughs> five year, 10 year, 20 year. But I've, I've changed a lot. I think your book really resonated with me and it helped me kind of like, you know, it, 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 this is so true because it's, uh, you know, what's next? What, what other degree do you want on the wall? What other, you know, kudos? And it's, it's a point where you got to just enjoy and embrace life, which, you know, you've, you've done as well. You're a great example of that. I'm curious, what's on the next uh, for agenda for Michael Hyatt? Maybe a book called How to Vacate Your Mind on Vacation? <laughs> no, we actually, uh, Megan and I are working on our next book. And the next book is, is all about thinking and how uh, thinking drives everything else. How we uh, think, the thoughts that we entertain, whatever, kind of determine how we feel, our emotions. It determines the results we get in the world. But the working title on it right now is, it's called, uh, It's All in Your Head. Oh, I love that. Love that. Yeah, it's uh, between the ears is our biggest challenge. So I, I love that as well. Fantastic. In the few minutes we've got, we have about two minutes left. Anything that you'd like to share that we didn't cover today? Yeah, I would just say, you know, if you're a single parent listening to this and you're thinking to yourself, well, that's fine for you. Or maybe you're in a situation where you're working for a boss that expects you to work 12 hours a day. You know, I just want to say to you, it's still possible. The double win is still possible. Just because you can't do everything doesn't mean you can't do something. And maybe it's going to require what I call an adult conversation with your boss and to go in and say, look, and this is the way to sell your boss on anything. Find what's in it for them and present it from that perspective. So to say to your boss who expects you to work 12 hours a day to say, look, you know, as you know, I have a young family and I feel like I need to give some attention to them. But I wonder if as an experiment, you would hold me accountable for the results. In fact, we could even increase the results. But for the results I produce, not the hours I'm in the seat. So I, I really, you know, I want to make this company successful. I want to make you successful. I want to produce more results. And I think I can do that by actually applying some constraints. And would you be willing to let me do that as a test? Almost no one will say no to an experiment. If they know that there's the opportunity to roll it back right. and to experiment with it, you know, and then you got to, obviously, you've got to prioritize, you've got to really focus, and you got to knock it out of the park. But again, you may not be able to do everything, but you might be able to do something. If all you can do is schedule 15 minutes of self-care before the day begins, start there. Let that be a foothold that enables you to begin to climb the mountain. Yeah, fantastic. Good word. Just like, you know, I get people that say, you know, I just don't have time to exercise, don't have time to do this. I says, you know, 15 minutes a day. That's a couple hours a week. You've done it. That's uh, 10 hours a month. I mean, it, it adds up little baby. It does. Yeah. So great words of wisdom. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Like I said, I love the book. I hope everybody gets a copy. Uh, most importantly, thank you for all you do for others. You're an inspiration for people that really want to excel to greatness. And I wish you continued success. Thank you, David. I really appreciate Thanks. you having me on. Fantastic. The book is called When It Works, Succeed at Life, Five Principles to Free Yourself from the Cult of Overwork. And you can get your copy at winandsucceedbook.com. And, you know, think about it. Are you sacrificing your career for your personal life or your personal life for your career? Find out, get your copy at winandsucceedbook.com. And you can follow Michael on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Michael Hyatt. And you can follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Dr. David Friedman on Instagram. I'm at Dr. D 
Friedman. If you heard Michael share something today that could benefit somebody that you know, send them a link to this podcast. It's available to you, goodhealthradio.com and radiomd.com. Check out our podcast library. Share these segments with friends, family, coworkers, and on social media. Sharing is caring. You can subscribe to our future podcast at iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay tuned and stay well.